Welcome back to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn, your host, and I appreciate you joining me t- today. Um, before we get into the substance of our discussion, uh, a quick update on Carl Quintero's extradition process. Uh, there is nothing new. I regularly monitor some press, both in Mexico and in the U.S., and as best I can tell, the stay on those proceedings remains. And if the process is proceeding, it's proceeding very, very slowly. So I don't expect any you know, really exciting news anytime soon. But as we've learned in the past, when it comes to Caro Quintero and the Mexican judicial process, we um, should expect anything and everything. So I'll continue to uh, try to keep advised of these things and let you know if anything comes up that's worth talking about. All right. The substance of the discussion today. For those of you who listened last week, you heard me talk about a phone conversation I had with Agent Boreas. And we'd been put in touch by John Masseria, who is a documentary filmmaker who made a documentary involving Agent Boreas and the three witnesses from The Last Narc that's very similar in tone, theme, structure, etc. to The Last Narc and makes basically the same contentions as does The Last Narc. And in our phone conversation, Agent Boreas made a number of assertions uh, and asked me to take a look at them with an open mind, to which I agreed to do. And it's really easy for me to to make that representation because I've said from episode one to now, this is episode 35, that my goal in these podcasts, the investigation that I've conducted and continue to conduct the the book I wrote and the one that's coming up uh, was to try to find the truth or at least portions of the truth to expose untruths, but most importantly to do so with some degree of academic rigor and honesty. So it's not enough to rely on an uncorroborated witness's statement. It's not enough to rely on isolated comments or isolated documents. It's not enough to rely on assertions of time that don't fit into a timeline, right? So we worked, worked really hard to put together as many documents as could possibly be found. Um, I put together timelines on a number of different events, talked to a lot of people, uh, some public, some private, and tried to reach conclusions or at least present arguments that are more than, again, simple reliance on something. But it's really putting them all together and looking both at facts, at corroboration, at timing, uh, and trying to reach some conclusions from them. So it was easy for me to say to Agent Perez, of course, I'll look at what you say. 
and I'll do it with an open mind. So I spent some time, especially last week, going through those assertions, and there's like six or seven of them that we'll talk about in just a minute. And a couple of things uh, came to mind as I was doing that. Number one, almost everything that was brought up is something that we've already talked about on these podcasts, many of them several times. And number two, nothing really jumped out that made me want to change my mind or opinion on almost anything. And that doesn't mean, I want to make this really clear, that doesn't mean that, that I'm saying that that Agent Breyes is a liar um, or anything else. You know, I, I have a hard time ascribing motive and don't necessarily think that that's the right thing to do. But it does mean that I don't think he's right on a lot of things. Uh, and I don't think his witnesses are right on a lot of things. And that's okay. But I think that we have more factual support for the assertions that we've made, the conclusions we've made, or just the questions we've asked. So with that in mind, I want to walk through the six or seven key arguments that uh, Agent Beret has presented, and, and we can analyze them together. So the first thing is uh, was Rancho Buffalo. And Agent Perez's basic point is Rancho Buffalo could not have been a motivating factor for Agent Camarena's abduction because Agent Camarena was not involved in Buffalo. And you can see why that's important for Agent Perez because if it's Buffalo, then that defeats his theory on the CIA's involvement, right? CIA was concerned about money and Contras and all that other stuff. So if it's Buffalo, it's not the CIA. Well, when you look at it, part of that we already know, right? We've all agreed for a long time that Agent Camarena had virtually nothing to do with Buffalo. Forget everything you've seen in Narcos Mexico, uh, that just didn't happen. Okay, that's just pure fiction, and and we've talked about Narcos Mexico. That's more of a drama. Fine with that, you know, but don't take it as fact because it didn't happen. Agent Camarena was not involved in Buffalo. Here's where I have problems, though. First of all, that's not exactly what the last narc says. Now, remember, every time we talk about the last narc, I tell you exactly where you can find it. Every time we've talked about Agent Breyes' book, I cite you to the page. Well, in the last narc, episode three, at 10.35, 10 minutes, 35 seconds in, there is a placard that says, Rancho Buffalo was destroyed three months earlier because of Kiki's surveillance. I don't know how else you could interpret that, but to say that's the documentary saying that Buffalo was the motive for the abduction, right? Episode three is talking about the abduction uh, and you know, Lope de Vega and all of that, and then it's saying Rancho Buffalo was destroyed, raided, 
because of Kiki's surveillance. So which is it, Agent Boreas? Was he involved or was he not? You can't have it both ways. How can the last narc say it was destroyed because of his surveillance and at the same time be saying, wait a second, he had no involvement in it? So that's problem number one. Here's problem number two. We don't know what the motive was. Okay. Assume, put aside the CIA argument. Okay. Because, because, you know, Agent Bray is going to say, well, we know it was the CIA. And we've talked about that. We'll talk about it more. But when it really comes down to, if you think that the, the kidnapping was ordered by somebody associated with Carl Quintero and Ernesto Fonseca, then it's really hard to know what the motive is. Why? Because nobody said anything. And, you know, we've talked. There's rumors and there's innuendo and there could be this, it could be that. But the point here is whether or not Agent Camarena was involved in Buffalo is irrelevant or could be irrelevant to the motive if Carlo Quintero and Ernesto Fonseca thought he was involved, right? Motive goes to what their mindset is, not what's factually accurate. And so if you believed that Buffalo and the raid on Buffalo had anything to do with the traffickers' concerns about the actions of the DEA, if it had anything to do with the traffickers wanting to find out how they were finding the information about Buffalo, about the other ranches, if it had any involvement, then whether or not Agent Cameron was involved is absolutely irrelevant and i submit to you if you go back and you watch the documentary or the docu-series and you look at that placard you look at the discussion about buffalo they make the point that there was a causal connection between buffalo and agent camarena's abduction Agent Boreas doesn't want that necessarily to be the case now because he wants to say it was all the CIA. And I think that is a fundamental mistake. Okay, point number two. Agent Boreas has said in a number of different forum that he was ordered to put a number of things relating to the CIA that he learned in his investigation in memoranda that were sent to you know others in the DEA including those in Washington DC and to not put them in DEA 6s because mem- memoranda could be for lack of a better way of putting it hidden but DEA-6 has kind of become a concrete record. And he says, hey, 
you know, I, I wrote a lot of them and I even packaged them all up and sent them to the Office of Professional Responsibility when I left. Okay, we've heard that story several different times. One thing that was new in the conversation, or, or maybe not completely new, but I didn't really consider it a lot, was the idea that uh, Agent Perea says, hey, one of the big reasons we didn't want to put anything about the CIA and DA6s or anything else that could be public, and part of the reason that the DEA was so concerned about any issues relating to the CIA was they were worried about passing NAFTA. Okay. okay. The idea that the, um, the U.S. government wouldn't want it to be known that the CIA was directly involved in Mexican internal affairs while they're trying to pass a uh, trilateral agreement with Mexico and Canada. Okay, I can see that. that. That makes a little bit of sense. Here's what bothers me, though. Again, uh, and we're going to talk about this again, the timing has to fit, doesn't it? Remember when we talked about the CIA and we talked in, in great detail about the Iran-Contra affair and when Felix Rodriguez got involved with Oliver North we just kind of said that the timing doesn't make sense. Well, here's the thing. NAFTA was passed by the U.S. Senate on November 20, 1993. Now, I have no doubt that the NAFTA process took quite a bit of time. But again, November 20, 1993, that's almost a year. Almost a year after the Zuno Arce trial, the second trial, concluded. It's a couple of years after Zuno won. And I have a hard time believing, or maybe I just have a heavy dose of skepticism, that something that wasn't passed until November of 1993, had a direct impact on Agent Perez's investigations and reporting back in 1988, 1989. I don't know. Does it make sense to you? You know, think about it. I wonder how many people at the DEA in 1988, 1989 would have known if there were any discussions about NAFTA. Again, I'm not saying that that's completely absurd. It just doesn't quite make sense. And boy, it should be nice to have some kind of record that makes any sense. Now, Hector says that he has a receipt where he sent a box of documents. Maybe it was a couple of boxes uh, to uh, the OPR department. Again, I'm not sure that a receipt indicates anything other than that it was sent. We're not really going to know what was in there other than to say, uh, you know, we can either rely on exactly what Hector says or we can be curious. But the receipt, the fact that it was sent, the fact that it was received in and of itself probably means nothing. 
Agent Bray has also said, well, look, Mike Holm confirms all of this in the last NARC. And I want to say this the the right way. Um, We've said on these podcasts several times that one of the very troubling aspects about the last NARC is that they only put on people who agreed with their position. It's one of the reasons that I have a very hard time calling it a documentary. It appears to me and to others that there was, the conclusion was known in advance. And those who had any disagreement, those who had any uh, evidence to the contrary, and we know, by the way, we know for a fact that at least six and probably more Law enforcement officials who were contacted or otherwise made known about the documentary sent Tilla Russell and or Amazon Amazon Prime communications that said, you're wrong, you're not paying attention, there are other things you should be looking at, there are other people you should be talking to, none of whom show up on the docuseries, right? And so the fact that Mike Holm, who I think it's fair to say, had a bit of a beef with the DEA, comes on and supports Hector's interpretation of, or his his comments with respect to why the CIA is never mentioned in DEA 6 reports, frankly, doesn't get us very far, at least in my mind. The third thing that Agent Breas talked about was Lawrence Victor Harrison. And my shorthand uh, review of, of his assertions is that he believes Lawrence Victor Harrison hook, line, and sinker, right? Absolutely involved with the CIA, absolutely involved with the cartels. He... Um, trained Contras on Rancho Veracruz. He had inside information that others didn't have. He um, worked with Felix Rodriguez in Guadalajara, all of this. And and I will will acknowledge that uh, Lawrence Victor Harrison, who has several other names, is a nebulous character and a really hard one to get your arms around. But what we do know for sure is that there's almost no corroboration of anything about him being involved with the Contras or about training Contras on Rancho Veracruz or the existence of Rancho Veracruz or if it does exist, who owned it. I mean, none of that. What you have is a lot of rumor and innuendo, and more importantly, you have no causal connection to anything that Agent Camarena worked on, right? The fact that something was happening in Veracruz, as far as we know, had almost no impact, nothing. There's no, 
I'm not even saying there's a tenuous connection. There's no connection to what Agent Camarena was doing in Guadalajara. Again, even if it existed, and we've talked about the timeline, the timeline doesn't fit for when the Contra activities really started. And I'm going to talk in a minute about Felix Rodriguez and the idea of when he was involved. And it again, it just doesn't really fit. So that's that's really the, the idea of Lawrence Harrison talking about the Contras and the training of the Contras and Felix Rodriguez. One thing that's come up a lot, and Agent Bray has brought it up, is the idea that Judge Rafiti somehow did something wrong when he wouldn't allow testimony regarding the CIA in the Zuno trials. And because of who appointed him and maybe some of his politics, there's been great conspiracy theories that you know somehow Rafiti had a particular point of view. He was given the case in order to protect the CIA, etc. And I think there is absolutely no validity to that. I've certainly seen nothing that indicates that. Moreover, the people making those allegations aren't the lawyers that were in the courtroom, aren't the lawyers that argued the principle to Judge Rafiti. What did Judge Rafiti say? He didn't say the CIA isn't true. He didn't say anything like that, that those allegations weren't true. What he said is they're not on trial. Whether or not the CIA was involved in activities with Felix Gallardo or Carlo Quintero or anyone else or Mata Ballesteros when we were talking in the first Zuno trial had no causal connection, no relevancy to any charges against the defendants relating to Agent Camarena's abduction. And certainly, none of the discussions that have occurred since then, you know, this idea somehow that the CIA directly ordered it, that wasn't even talked about back then. It was more that the CIA was involved, the CIA gave... Uh, the drug activity, some tacit or implied authorization. There was nothing about a direct connection to Carl Quintero's uh, actions with respect to Agent Camarena. And I've talked recently to the lawyers who were involved in that. I was in the courtroom when those things came up. The two arguments are completely different, and there is nothing, nothing to suggest that Judge Rafiti's arguments, I'm sorry, Judge Rafiti's orders with respect to the CIA arguments were improper. Let me ask you, how many of those orders went up on appeal and were reversed? Exactly zero, as you expected. Here's something else that people who weren't there have a hard time understanding. And this is one where I get um, 
a little riled up. Agent Boreas, in our conversation, repeated the allegation that Jaime Kirkendall testified for the defense in Zuno 2. And that is absolutely wrong. Number one, he testified on cross-examination. Government put him on voluntarily. Ed Medvin, lead counsel for Ruben Zuno RSA, cross-examines him. One of the things that he was cross-examined on was a meeting that occurred in San Antonio, Texas, between former DEA agent uh, Art Rodriguez, Agent Kirkendall, and Ruben Zuno Arce. This is after Agent Camarena's murder. They have a meeting. The conversation occurs, and on cross-examination, Agent Kirkendall is asked, you know, you didn't subpoena Ruben Zuno Arce at that time. No. He didn't refuse to answer any questions. No. He... You know, whatever you asked him, he he answered voluntarily, yes. And then there's a question of, so at the end of that meeting, did you have any information that agent, or one more time, I'm sorry. At the end of that meeting, did you have any information that Ruben Zunorase was involved in Agent Camarena's abduction, and murder? And the answer is no. Okay. So that's what happened. It's in the transcripts, perfectly clear. And a couple of things about it. Number one, there's this great story that Boreas tells that he and Manny Madrano get on the elevator. Madrano drops his briefcase and says, you might as well shoot me. We just lost the case. Bullshit. I don't buy it for a second. And if it was true, I don't know what he was thinking about. <laughs> because I was there. Now, again, I was one one person. I was the low man on the totem pole on a four or five person team. But I was there. And I know that none of us walked away going, well, we just won that case. So that's number one. Number two, the idea that it said something more, that somehow this testimony was in favor of of Zuno and had a grander implication, is betrayed by arguments that, that Manny Medrano made later. He later on said in arguments to the court, outside the jury, he said, Judge, They only asked about one specific time. You cannot allow them to extrapolate that to saying that Agent Kirkendall said, believed, thought that Ruben Zuno was innocent or, you know, otherwise was an upstanding citizen. None of that. They asked about one specific moment in time. And my answer is, yes, they did. And if that's the case, and if you knew it, Manny, then why were you allegedly apoplectic at the testimony? 
But last, and as importantly, Agent Boreas was adamant, adamant, that Jaime Kirkendall was called by the defense, that he violated ethics by testifying without going through OPR and everything else. And he was so adamant about it that I started to question myself. So we went to the court, right? We went to the files of the Central District of California, and we pulled the witness list. More importantly, we pulled the witness list where the court reporter noted the days on which the witnesses listed on those lists testified, if at all, because there were a lot that didn't testify. And you know what we found? Agent Kirkendall was never called as a witness for the defense. He testified once in the Ruben Zuno Arce trial number two. He testified once. That was on direct examination by the government, and then he was subject to cross-examination. You know who was called as a witness? Art Rodriguez. But that's not the exciting story, is it? The exciting story is, oh, Camarena's boss testified on behalf of Ruben Zuno Arce. And that is a factually false narrative. And again, I'm, I'm more than willing to talk about places where there's gray area, where reasonable minds can differ. This isn't one of them. It did not happen that way. Okay. Two other things that are of note. Agent Perez talked a little bit about, in, in our conversation, about Felix Rodriguez. And he said, look, Felix Rodriguez absolutely lied when he said that he had never been to Guadalajara in his life. Now, I'm not exactly sure where he made that assertion or where Felix Rodriguez made that assertion, but let's assume that he did. Let's assume that Agent Breyes is absolutely right. Felix at one point said, I've never been to Guadalajara in my life. Agent Breyes says, look at Terry Reed's book, Compromise, where he talks about, he's a CIA operative, and he works with uh, Felix Rodriguez and Oliver North in connection with uh, the whole Iran-Contra affair. And he says that he met Felix Rodriguez in Guadalajara. So I said, okay. And as I'm talking to Agent Breyes, I downloaded Compromise. We get off the phone and... I spend a little bit of time going through there. And the earliest I can find any assertion in that book, Compromised by Terry Reed, or maybe Compromised, sorry. But the earliest I can find any assertion of Felix Rodriguez being in Guadalajara is September 1985. So let's assume, number one, 
that Felix, in fact, said, never been to Guadalajara in my life. Let's assume, number two, that Terry Reed is absolutely right, and he was there in September of 1985. I ask you, what does that have to do with whether or not Felix Rodriguez was at Lope de Vega on February 7 and or February 8, 1985. Is the argument just going to be, well, he lied about one thing, so he lied about everything? Because if that's the case, none of Agent Perez's witnesses, Godoy, Lopez, Lira, Harrison, none of the people that he relies on can pass that test, right? We know for a fact they've all lied. The other thing that he says, he, I'm sorry, the other thing that that Agent Perea said in our conversation was that it's absolutely clear that Felix Rodriguez was running weapons from the Ilopango Airport in 1985. Again, even if we accept that as true, so what? We know Felix Rodriguez gave testimony. He's on video. He was on the news. I mean, he's sitting right there talking to the Iran-Contra committees. We know he did all of that. We're concerned about February 7, 1985, though. I don't care what he did later in 85. I don't care if he ever went to Guadalajara in September of 1985. Hell, I don't care if he... Went and had a drink in Lope de Vega in September of 1985. That has nothing to do with Agent Camarena's abduction, torture, and murder. And I still have not seen anything, anything that provides any decent corroboration of the allegation that he was there. And again, I'll go back, go back to the DEA 6 of Rene Lopez Romero. Talking about everybody who was at Lope de Vega. Oh my God, there was this and there was that and there was this and there was that. There was Gardoki and there was Manuel Bartlett Diaz. No Cubans. No CIA. Nothing. Nothing like that. How in the heck can that be? And so, again, if we want to, you know, if somebody wants to come to me and say, I can show you that Felix Rodriguez is involved in Camarena's abduction, fine, show it to me. But give me something that's contemporaneous. Don't tell me that he lied about being in Guadalajara in September of 1985. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. So many of the allegations that try to tie this all together into this grand CIA plot just don't fit. They don't fit with the facts. They don't fit with the timeline. They don't fit with the contemporaneous documents. They don't fit with common sense. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every single one of them is 100% wrong, but they haven't been demonstrated. The last thing that Agent Boreas said of note um, in connection with this discussion is, well, if I'm such a liar, 
why haven't I been charged with subordination of perjury? You know, if these guys are so bad and I put them on or I, you know, coached them, why haven't I been charged with subordination of perjury? Well, let's talk about that. Now, number one, we know that the DA has conducted at least two investigations into the allegations that the testimony was somehow skewed, you know, coached, if you want to say, however you want to describe it. So that's number one. We know that. Um, I have reason to believe that the three witnesses from the last narc, Godoy, Lopez, and Lira, don't come away from those investigations unscathed. I also have reason to believe that many in the DEA, both uh, past and present, have questions about Agent Perez's conduct, about the witnesses that were brought up. Hell, even Garate is quoted as saying that the prosecution was too quick and too easy to rely on um, witnesses and didn't verify them enough. One of the things that's been really cool recently is I've, I've had some inve- uh, some conversations with investigators, police, um, DEA agents, other federal agents, and, and been able to try to understand how they look at things and some of them have looked at the DEA sixes of Godoy and Lopez and and just said they don't feel right. If you're if you if this is what you do all the time, there's something that's kind of rote and plain about them. But we've talked about this before. What's what's the government's option here? Okay, especially now. So you got Carlo Quintero sitting in jail in Mexico. You'd love to get him up. Right, get him up and and charge him for all the the good reasons. Okay, I'm not even. I mean, you know, justice would be great. Who's going to testify? Who are your witnesses? Is it going to be Godoy? Is it going to be Lopez? Is it going to be Lira? Is it going to be Bereas? And if the government said, we think the witnesses were coached, or we otherwise doubt the veracity of Lopez, Godoy, and Lira, what does that do to the trial, the perspective trial? What does that do to those that were convicted? Ruben Zunorarse, who died in jail. What about Cervantes? If Cervantes was a liar and then you put on other liars, what's the incentive here for the government to make an example out of Hector Bereas, even if they think, even if they think 100% that he did something wrong, 
that he coached witnesses or that somehow the the witnesses were liars and put on despite having reasonable evidence and reasonable belief that they were lying. What's the incentive? I got another question for you. So shortly after El Chapo was picked up, brought to the United States and put on trial in New York, there were a couple of press um, analyses talking about the fact that Godoy and Lopez had now started to say, hey, El Chapo was involved in everything. He was involved in the murder of the missionaries. He was directly involved in the La Langosta murders of Walker and Radalat. He was directly involved in the interrogation and murder of Agent Camarena. Never you mind <laughs> that where they, you know, the DEA sixes, where they have the glossary of here's people who are mentioned, you know, relevant, blah, blah, blah. He's nowhere to be found. Forget the fact that he's not mentioned. Forget the fact that at that time, you know, he was, at best, he was, you know, a cleaner for the for the cartel or for the, the traffickers. Put all that to the side. They're saying, hey, there's now these witnesses who say he was involved in the murders of at least six, maybe seven Americans over a relatively short period of time, maybe he's going to go on trial. We all know what happened to that, right? He hadn't been tried for it. Does that make you wonder if there's questions about the ability to put Godoy, Lopez, Lira on the stand. You certainly can't put Bereas on the stand, can you? <laughs> Again, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You don't have to be a great defense attorney to say, um, Agent Bereas, aren't you on record as saying that this was all done by and on orders of the CIA? Point being, my friends, is that I can't see any motive for anyone to do something like charging Agent Breas with subordination of perjury or making public their investigations, the DEA's investigations, any other government agency's investigations into. Godoy, Lopez, Lira, Cervantes, Harrison, any or all of them. Nobody benefits from it. And that, as much as anything, can explain why Agent Boreas hasn't been charged or why there otherwise hasn't been an action against him in that regard. Okay. I hope that helps kind of illuminate what Agent Breas's point of view was. Uh, I'll reiterate that I I welcomed the conversation, even though it really wasn't much of a conversation. He talked, I listened, I interjected occasionally. Uh, would welcome more. Would welcome anyone, anyone who thinks that that the way we've analyzed this or the way we've talked about it is wrong. 
Tell me when and where. I'll come. I'll show up. And as I've said many times too, if I'm wrong, if there's facts to show me I'm wrong, show me I'm wrong. And I'll tell you, all of you, anyone listening, if I find facts that contradict anything I've said, I'll show them to you. I just haven't found them yet. Okay. Um, I've got an exciting week coming up, which I will detail uh, next week in the next podcast. Um, But I think you'll find it fascinating. Uh, The newsletter, which will go out in just a few minutes after this is um, downloaded, uh, has some some kind of interesting comments in it. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, The website, again, uh, www.jacklewellen.com. We're working on annotating the documents. There are just so many of them. It's going to take a little while. But I love the website. I love all the information there. As always, Comments, questions, concerns, criticism, bitches, moans, gripes, whatever. Would love to hear from you and um, welcome anything. Everything I've gotten has been from people has been thought provoking and appreciated. So uh, with that, again, looking forward to a good week. Hope everybody survived the time change and we will talk to you in uh, a week or so. Take care. Be well.